Welcome to episode 3 of Hysteria. Today, we're reading The Hall Bedroom by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman, published in 1905. In 1852, Mary E. Wilkins Freeman was born into a strict Orthodox Congregationalist household and found herself consistently restrained by religion. She was a fairly rebellious child, balking against her mother's passivity and domesticity. She lost her parents early in life and married the alcoholic and unfaithful Dr. Charles Manning Freeman at the age of 49. When he died, he left his wealth to his chauffeur, reserving a single dollar for Mary. Mary began writing fiction as a teenager to help earn money for her family. She found success towing the line between domestic realism and supernaturalism. Throughout her children's stories, poems, and short stories, Freeman sought to explore feminist values. While The Hall Bedroom does not feature a female protagonist, it shows a masterful and imaginative command of the kinds of horror typically reserved for Lovecraft and his contemporaries. This story is read by Katie Self. Music provided by Laura Fisher. This story has been edited for time. Let the hysteria begin. The Hall Bedroom by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. January 18th, 1883. Here I am, established in my new boarding house. I have, as befits my humble means, the hall bedroom on the third floor. I see no reason why I should not live in this hall bedroom for the rest of my life. That is, if I have enough money to pay the landlady, and that seems probable since my small funds are invested safely. I have experienced the revulsion which comes sooner or later to the adventurous soul, who experiences nothing but defeat and so-called ill luck. I've swung to the opposite extreme. I have lost in everything. I have lost in love. I have lost in money. I have lost in the struggle for preferment. I have lost in health and strength. I am now settled down in a hall bedroom to live upon my small income and regain my health by mild potations of the mineral waters here, if possible. If not, to live here without my health for mine is not a necessarily fatal malady, until Providence shall take me out of my hall bedroom. Just at present, as I write here, my horizon on the left, that is my physical horizon, is a wall covered with cheap paper. The paper is an indeterminate pattern in white and gilt. There are a few photographs of my own hung about, and on the large wall space beside the bed, there is a large oil painting which belongs to my landlady. It has a massive, tarnished gold frame, and curiously enough, the painting itself is rather good. I have no idea who the artist could have been. It is of the conventional landscape type in vogue some 50 years since, the type so fondly reproduced in Chromos. The winding river with the little boat occupied by a pair of lovers, the cottage nestled among trees on the right shore, the gentle slope of the hills and the church spire in the background. But still, it is well done. It gives me the impression of an artist without the slightest originality of design, but much of technique. But for some inexplicable reason, the picture 
frets me. I find myself gazing at it when I do not wish to do so. It seems to compel my attention like some intent face in the room. I shall ask Mrs. Jennings to have it removed. I will hang in its place some photographs which I have in a trunk. January 26th. I do not write regularly in my journal. I never did. I see no reason why anyone should have the slightest sense of duty in such a matter. Some days I have nothing which interests me sufficiently to write out. Some days I feel either too ill or too indolent. For four days, I have not written, from a mixture of all three reasons. Now, today, I both feel like it, and I have something to write. Also, I am distinctly better than I have been. Perhaps the waters are benefiting me, or the change of air. Or possibly it is something else more subtle. All I know is, I feel distinctly better, and I am conscious of an acute interest in doing so, which is of late strange to me. I have been rather indifferent, and sometimes have wondered if that were not the cause, rather than the result of my state of health. However, for some reason, for the last few days, I seem to have awakened from my state of quiescence. It began with the picture, the large oil painting. I went to Mrs. Jennings about it yesterday, and she, to my surprise, objected to having it removed. She says if it is removed, a very large and unsightly discoloration of the wallpaper will be exposed, and she does not like to ask for new paper. The owner, an old man, is traveling abroad. The agent is curt, and she has only been in the house a very short time. She also says that there is no place in the house where she can store the picture, and there is not a vacant space in another room for one so large. So, I let the picture remain. Last night, I repeated a strange experience, which I have had in some degree every night since I have been here, but was not sure whether it deserved the name of experience, but was not rather one of those dreams in which one dreams one is awake. But last night, it came again, and now I know. There is something very singular about this room. I am very much interested. I will write down for future reference the events of last night. I am not depending upon the mineral waters here as the one remedy for my malady, which is sometimes of an acute nature, and indeed constantly threatens me with considerable suffering unless by medicine I can keep it in check. I will say that the medicine which I employ is not of the class commonly known as drugs. It is impossible that it can be held responsible for what I am about to transcribe. My mind last night, and every night since I have slept in this room, was an absolutely normal state. I take this medicine, prescribed by the specialist in whose charge I was before coming here, regularly every four hours while awake. As I am never a good sleeper, it follows that I am enabled with no inconvenience to take any medicine during the night with the same regularity as during the day. It is my habit, therefore, to place my bottle and spoon where I can put my hand upon them easily without lighting the gas. Since I have been in this room, I have placed the bottle of medicine upon my dresser at the side of the room opposite the bed. I have done this rather than place it nearer, as once I jostled the bottle and spilled most of the contents, and it is not easy for me to replace it as it is expensive. Therefore, I placed it in security on the dresser, and indeed that is but three or four steps from my bed, the room being so small. Last night, I wakened as usual and knew, since I had fallen asleep about eleven, that it must be in the neighborhood of three. 
I wake up with almost clock-like regularity, and it is never necessary for me to consult my watch. I had slept unusually well and without dreams, and I awoke fully at once, with a feeling of refreshment to which I am not accustomed. I immediately got out of bed and began stepping across the room in the direction of my dresser, on which I had set my medicine bottle and spoon. To my utter amazement, the steps which had hitherto sufficed to take me across my room did not suffice to do so. I advanced several paces, and my outstretched hands touched nothing. I stopped and went on again. I was sure that I was moving in a straight direction, and even if I had not been, I knew it was impossible to advance in any direction in my tiny apartment without coming into collision either with a wall or a piece of furniture. I continued to walk falteringly, as I have seen people on the stage, a step, then a long falter, then a sliding step. I kept my hands extended, they touched nothing. I had not the least sentiment of fear or consternation. It was rather the very stupefaction of surprise. How is this? seemed thundering in my ears. What is this? The room was perfectly dark. There was nowhere any glimmer, as is usually the case, even in a so-called dark room, from the walls, picture frames, looking glass, or white objects. It was absolute gloom. I could not distinguish my one window, which I thought strange even on such a dark night. Finally, I changed my plan of motion and turned, as nearly as I could estimate, at right angles. Now I thought I must reach soon, if I kept on, my writing table underneath the window, or if I'm going in the opposite direction, the hall door. I reached neither. I am telling the unvarnished truth when I say that I began to count my steps and carefully measure my paces after that, and I traversed a space clear of furniture at least 20 feet by 30. A very large apartment. And as I walked, I was conscious that my naked feet were pressing something which gave rise to sensations the like of which I had never experienced before. As nearly as I can express it, it was as if my feet pressed something as elastic as air or water, which was in this case unyielding to my weight. It gave me a curious sensation of buoyancy and stimulation. At the same time, this surface, if surface be the right name, which I trod, felt cool to my feet with the coolness of vapor or fluidity, seeming to overlap the soles. Finally, I stood still. My surprise was at last merging into a measure of consternation. Where am I? I thought. What am I going to do? Almost anything seemed then, and seems now, more rational than an explanation bordering upon the supernatural, as we understand the supernatural. At last, I called, though rather softly, What does this mean? Where am I? Who is here? Who is doing this? I tell you, I will have no such nonsense. Speak if there is anybody here. But all was dead silence. Then suddenly, a light flashed through the open transom of my door. Somebody had heard me. He turned on the gas in the hall and called to me. What's the matter? He asked in an agitated, trembling voice. He is a nervous fellow. Directly, when the light flashed through my transom, I saw that I was in my familiar hall bedroom. I could see everything quite distinctly. My tumbled bed, my writing table, my dresser, my chair, 
my little washstand, my clothes hanging on a row of pegs, the old picture on the wall. The picture gleamed out with singular distinctness in the light from the transom. The river seemed actually to run and ripple, and the boat to be gliding with the current. I gazed fascinated at it as I replied to the anxious voice. Nothing is the matter with me, said I. Why? I thought I heard you speak, said the man outside. I thought maybe you were sick. No, I called back. I am all right. I'm trying to find my medicine in the dark, that's all. I can see now you have lighted the gas. Nothing is the matter? No, sorry I disturbed you. Good night. Good night. Then I heard the man's door shut after a minute's pause. I took a pull at my medicine bottle and got into bed. He had left the hall gas burning. I did not go to sleep again for some time. Just before I did so, someone, probably Mrs. Jennings, came out in the hall and extinguished the gas. This morning when I awoke, everything was as usual in my room. I wonder if I shall have any such experience tonight. January 27th. I shall write in my journal every day until this draws to some definite issue. Last night, my strange experience deepened, as something tells me it will continue to do. I retired quite early, at half past ten. I took the precaution, on retiring, to place beside my bed, on a chair, a box of safety matches, that I might not be in the dilemma of the night before. I took my medicine on retiring, that made me due to wake up at half past two. I had not fallen asleep directly, but had certainly three hours of sound, dreamless slumber when I awoke. I lay a few minutes hesitating whether or not to strike a safety match and light my way to the dresser, whereon stood my medicine bottle. I hesitated, not because I had the least sensation of fear, but because of the same shrinking from a nerve shock that leads one at times to dread the plunge into an icy bath. It seemed much easier to me to strike that match and cross my hall bedroom to my dresser, take my dose, then return quietly to my bed, than to risk the chance of floundering about in some unknown limbo, either of fancy or reality. At last, however, the spirit of adventure, which has always been such a ruling one for me, conquered. I rose. I took the box of safety matches in my hand and started on, as I conceived, the straight course for my dresser. As before, I traveled and traveled and did not reach it. I advanced with groping hands extended, setting one foot cautiously before the other, but I touched nothing except the indefinite, unnameable surface which my feet pressed. All of a sudden, though, I became aware of something. One of my senses was saluted, nay, more than that, hailed with imperiousness, and that was, strangely enough, my sense of smell. But in a hitherto unknown fashion, it seemed as if the odor reached my mentality first. I reversed the usual process, which is, as I understand it, like this. The odor, when encountered, strikes first the olfactory nerve, which transmits the intelligence to the brain. It is as if, to put it rudely, my nose met a rose, and then the nerve belonging to the sense said it to my brain, here is a rose. This time, my brain said, here is a rose. And my sense then recognized it. I say rose, but it was not a rose that is not the fragrance of any rose which I had ever known. It was undoubtedly a flower odor. A rose came perhaps the nearest to it. My mind realized it first with what seemed a leap of rapture. 
What is this delight? I asked myself. And then the ravishing fragrance smote my sense. I breathed it in, and it seemed to feed my thoughts, satisfying some hitherto unknown hunger. Then I took a step further, and another fragrance appeared, which I likened to lilies for lack of something better. And then came violets, then mignonette. I cannot describe the experience. But it was a sheer delight, a rapture of sublimated sense. I groped further and further, and always into new waves of fragrance. I seemed to be wading breast-high through flower beds of paradise. But all the time, I touched nothing with my groping hands. At last, a sudden giddiness as of surfeit overcame me. I realized that I might be in some unknown peril. I was distinctly afraid. I struck one of my safety matches, and I was in my hall bedroom, midway between my bed and my dresser. I took my dose of medicine and went to bed, and after a while, fell asleep and did not wake till morning. January 28th. Last night, I did not take my usual dose of medicine. In these days of new remedies and mysterious results upon certain organizations, it occurred to me to wonder if possibly the drug might have, after all, something to do with my strange experience. I did not take my medicine. I put the bottle, as usual, on my dresser, since I feared if I interrupted further the customary sequence of affairs, I might fail to wake. I placed my box of matches on the chair beside my bed. I fell asleep about quarter past 11 o'clock, and I waked when the clock was striking two, a little earlier than my want. I did not hesitate this time. I rose at once, took my box of matches, and proceeded as formerly. I walked what seemed a great space without coming into collision with anything. I kept sniffing for the wonderful fragrances of the night before, but they did not recur. Instead, I was suddenly aware that I was tasting something. Some morsel of sweetness hitherto unknown. And, as in the case of the odor, the usual order seemed reversed, and it was as if I tasted it first in my mental consciousness. Then the sweetness rolled under my tongue. An ineffable content as of satisfied hunger seized me. I stepped further, and a new savor was upon my palate, and so on. It was never cloying, though of such sharp sweetness that it fairly stung. It was the merging of a material sense into a spiritual one. I said to myself, I have lived my life and always have I gone hungry, until now. I could feel my brain act swiftly under the influence of this heavenly food as under a stimulant. Then suddenly, I repeated the experience of the night before. I grew dizzy, and an indefinite fear and shrinking were upon me. I struck my safety match and was back in my hall bedroom. I returned to bed and soon fell asleep. I did not take my medicine. I am resolved not to do so longer. I am feeling much better. January 29th. Last night, to bed as usual, matches in place, fell asleep about 11 and waked at half past one. I am waking earlier and earlier every night. I had not taken my medicine, though it was on the dresser as usual. I again took my matchbox in hand and started across the room and, as always, traversed strange spaces, but this night, 
As seemed fated to be the case every night, my experience was different. Last night, I neither smelled nor tasted, but I heard. My lord, I heard. The first sound of which I was conscious was one like the constantly gathering and receding murmur of a river. And it seemed to come from the wall behind my bed where the old picture hangs. Nothing in nature except a river gives that impression of at once advance and retreat. I could not mistake it. On, ever on, came the swelling murmur of the waves. Past and ever past, they died in the distance. Then I heard above the murmur of the river a song in an unknown tongue which I recognized as being unknown, yet which I understood. But the understanding was in my brain, with no words of interpretation. The song had to do with me. But with me and unknown features for which I had no images of comparison in the past, yet a sort of ecstasy as of a prophecy of bliss filled my whole consciousness. The song never ceased, but as I moved on, I came into new sound waves. There was the pealing of bells which might have been made of crystal and might have summoned to the gates of heaven. There was music of strange instruments, great harmonies pierced now and then by small whispers as of love, and all filled me with a certainty of a future of bliss. At last, I seemed the center of a mighty orchestra, which constantly deepened and increased, until I seemed to feel myself being lifted gently but mightily upon the waves of sound as upon the waves of a sea. Then again, the terror and the impulse to flee to my own familiar scenes was upon me. I struck my match and was back in my hall bedroom. I do not see how I sleep at all after such wonders, but sleep I do. I slept dreamlessly until daylight this morning. January 30th. I heard yesterday something with regard to my hall bedroom which affected me strangely. I was down at the cure and was sitting on the veranda sipping idly my mineral water when someone spoke my name. Mr. Wheatcroft, said the voice politely, interrogatively, somewhat apologetically as if to provide for a possible mistake in my identity. I turned and saw a gentleman who I recognized at once. I seldom forget names or faces. He was a Mr. Addison, who I had seen considerable of three years ago at a little summer hotel in the mountains. It was one of those passing acquaintances which signify little one way or the other. If never renewed, you have no regret. If renewed, you accept the renewal with no hesitation. It is in every way negative. But just now, in my feeble, friendless state, the sight of a face which beams with pleased remembrance is rather grateful. I felt distinctly glad to see the man. He sat down beside me. He also had a glass of the water. His health, while not as bad as mine, leaves much to be desired. Addison had often been in this town before. He had in fact lived here at one time. He had remained at the cure three years, taking the waters daily. He therefore knows about all there is to be known about the town, which is not very large. He asked me where I was staying, and when I told him the street, rather excitedly inquired the number. When I told him the number, which is 240, he gave a manifest start, and after one sharp glance at me, sipped his water in silence for a moment. He had so evidently betrayed some ulterior knowledge with regard to my residence that I questioned him. What do you know about 240 Pleasant Street, said I. Oh, nothing, he replied, evasively sipping his water. After a little while, however, he inquired, in what he evidently tried to render a casual tone, what room I occupied. I once lived a few weeks at 240 Pleasant Street myself, he said. 
That house always was a boarding house, I guess. It had stood vacant for a term of years before the present occupant rented it, I believe, I remarked. Then I answered his question. I have the hall bedroom on the third floor, said I. The quarters are pretty straightened, but comfortable enough as hall bedrooms go. But Mr. Addison had showed such unmistakable consternation at my reply that then I persisted in my questioning as to the cause. And at last, he yielded and told me what he knew. He had hesitated both because he shrank from displaying what I might consider an unmanly superstition and because he did not wish to influence me beyond what the facts of the case warranted. Well, I will tell you, Wheatcroft, he said. Briefly, all I know is this. When last I heard of 240 Pleasant Street, it was not rented because of foul play, which was supposed to have taken place there, though nothing was ever proved. There were two disappearances, and in each case, of an occupant of the hall bedroom which you now have. The first disappearance was of a very beautiful girl who had come here for her health and was said to be the victim of a profound melancholy, induced by a love disappointment. She obtained board at 2.40 and occupied the hall bedroom about two weeks. Then, one morning, she was gone, having seemingly vanished into thin air. Her relatives were communicated with. She had not many, nor friends either, poor girl, and a thorough search was made. But the last I knew, she had never come to light. There were two or three arrests, but nothing ever came of them. Well, that was before my day here, but the second disappearance took place when I was in the house. A fine young fellow who had overworked in college. And he came on here for a month's rest and recuperation. He had been in that room about two weeks, a little less, when one morning, he wasn't there. And there was a great hullabaloo. It seemed that he had let fall some hints to the effect that there was something queer about the room. But of course, the police did not think much of that. They made arrests right and left, but they never found him and the arrested were discharged, though some of them are probably under a cloud of suspicion to this day. Then the boarding house was shut up. Six years ago, nobody would have boarded there, much less occupied that hall bedroom. But now I suppose new people have come in and the story has died out. I dare say your landlady will not thank me for reviving it. I assured him that it would make no possible difference to me. He looked at me sharply and asked bluntly if I had seen anything wrong or unusual about the room. I replied, guarding myself from falsehood with a quibble, that I had seen nothing in the least unusual about the room, as indeed I had not, and have not now, but that may come. Last night, I neither saw, nor heard, nor smelled, nor tasted, but I felt. Last night, having started again on my exploration of God knows what. I had not advanced a step before I touched something. My first sensation was one of disappointment. It is the dresser, and I am at the end of it now, I thought. But I soon discovered that it was not the old painted dresser which I touched, but something carved, as nearly as I could discover with my unskilled fingertips, with winged things. There were certainly long, keen curves of wings which seemed to overlay an arabesque of fine leaf and flower work. I do not know what the object was that I touched. It may have been a chest. I may seem to be exaggerating when I say that it somehow failed or exceeded in some mysterious respect of being the shape of anything I had ever touched. 
I do not know what the material was. It was as smooth as ivory, but it did not feel like ivory. There was a singular warmth about it, as if it had stood long in hot sunlight. I continued, and I encountered other objects I am inclined to think were pieces of furniture of fashions and possibly of uses unknown to me. And about them all was the strange mystery as to shape. At last, I came to what was evidently an open window of large area. I distinctly felt a soft, warm wind, yet with a crystal freshness blow on my face. It was not the window of my hall bedroom that I know. Looking out, I could see nothing. I only felt the wind blowing on my face. Then, suddenly, without any warning, my groping hands to the right and left touched living beings. Beings in the likeness of men and women, palpable creatures in palpable attire. I could feel the soft, silken texture of their garments which swept around me, seeming to half-enfold me in clinging meshes like cobwebs. I was in a crowd of these people, whatever they were, whatever they were, and whoever they were. But curiously enough, without seeing one of them, I had a strong sense of recognition as I passed among them. Now and then, a hand that I knew closed softly over mine. Once, an arm passed around me. Then I began to feel myself gently swept on and impelled by this softly moving throng. Their floating garments seemed to fairly wind me about, and again, a swift terror overcame me. I struck my match and was back in my hall bedroom. I wonder if I had not better keep my gas burning tonight. I wonder if it be possible that this is going too far. I wonder what became of those other people. The man and the woman who occupied this room. I wonder if I had better not stop where I am. January 31st. Last night I saw. I saw more than I can describe. More than is lawful to describe. Something which nature has rightly hidden has been revealed to me. But it is not for me to disclose too much of her secret. This much, I will say, that doors and windows open into and out of doors to which the outdoors which we know is but a vestibule. There is something strange with respect to that picture. There is a river upon which one could sail away. It was flowing silently. For tonight, I could only see. I saw that I was right in thinking I recognized some of the people whom I encountered the night before, though some were strange to me. It is true that the girl who disappeared from the hall bedroom was very beautiful. Everything which I saw last night was very beautiful to my one sense that could grasp it. I wonder what it would all be if all my senses together were to grasp it. I wonder if I had better not keep my gas burning tonight. I wonder... This finishes the journal which Mr. Wheatcroft left in his hall bedroom. The morning after the last entry, he was gone. His friend, Mr. Addison, came here, and a search was made. They even tore down the wall behind the picture. And they did find something rather queer for a house that had been used for boarders, 
where you would think no room would have been let run to waste. They found another room. A long, narrow one, the length of the hall bedroom, but narrower, hardly more than a closet. There was no window, no door, and all there was in it was a sheet of paper covered with figures, as if somebody had been doing sums. They made a lot of talk about those figures, and they tried to make out that the fifth dimension, whatever that is, was proved. But they said afterward they didn't prove anything. They tried to make out then that somebody had murdered poor Mr. Wheatcroft and hid the body, and they arrested poor Mr. Addison. But they couldn't make out anything against him. They proved he was in the cure all that night and couldn't have done it. They don't know what became of Mr. Wheatcroft. This story was written by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. Thank you to Katie Self for reading this story. The music used in this episode was composed by Laura Fisher. And a massive thank you to Tech Liminal for sponsoring this podcast. Go to techliminal.com to master the technology you need to run your life. Join the hysteria, find more episodes, and learn more about this podcast at hysteriapod.com.